Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 14. 1 Kings chapter 14. If I could have my slides up there. This morning, we are going to look at uh, follow-up events to King Jeroboam. Somebody tell me, is King Jeroboam king of Israel or Judah? You sure about that? Israel or Judah? You still don't sound very sure of it. Israel or Judah? Yes, he's king of Israel. That's the northern ten tribes. Well, let's look at our timeline again. Remember, we have the united monarchy beginning with Saul. Then he was rejected. His son Ishbosheth reigned a short time while David reigned from Hebron. Then David reigned, then Solomon, and then the kingdom was divided, with Rehoboam reigning over Judah and Jeroboam reigning in the north. We're sometime in this time range. We're not sure exactly when the events we learn about today take place, but there's some time in here. Now, I, as we start off this morning, want to make you aware of some wonderful resources. You see the chart we have up on the screen. Well, I have that chart for all of you with a little bit more detail. So I actually need some helpers. Who would like to come help me? Elijah, you going to come help me? Christopher, you want to help me? And if you could pass these out and get at least one per family, uh, what we'll do here is I have three resources for you this morning. One is a timeline, which basically is a little bit like this, um, but with a little bit more detail. Uh, another resource I have for you are family Bible readings. Family Bible readings are taking the different passages we're reading and has questions to help you so that as you're preparing ahead for Bible Hour or reviewing from Bible Hour, you can use these questions to help guide you. And so they're wonderful things to do together as a family. And so we call these family Bible readings. And then there's one other resource that I haven't uh, uh, finalized yet, but um, I'm working on it, and that's a parallel harmony. Now, you've seen some of these pop up in the past because we know that when we're here in 1 Kings, today we're going to be just fine because the history we're going to learn about today in 1 Kings chapter 14 is only recorded in 1 Kings chapter 14. But next week, and in a lot of other places, we have the record recorded in 1 Kings, but also over in 2 Chronicles. And so what the harmony does is it takes the two different passages and it harmonizes them. Now, electronically, and some of you are going to prefer it electronically, so there's no sense in me wasting paper or ink to print this for you. So I'll have this for you um, electronically, but if you would like a paper copy, because lots of you would prefer a paper copy, I'm going to pass around a clipboard here, and you just write your family's name, and you write the number of how many timelines you need, so we already passed out some timelines, and then how many harmonies you would like for your family, and then how many family Bible reading booklets you would like for your family. Does that sound like a plan? All right, now. Christopher, I have one more thing here. Um, if we could have of the family Bible readings, um, just because some of you don't know what these are, do you have those one per family? 
Get those out one per family. So one per family. And then if you want more than that, go ahead and sign up here. Um, don't be shy. I'll print as many as we need. But um, I, hope that, I hope that these resources will be a blessing to you and will help you in reinforcing what you learn in Bible Hour. Now, you see this chart up here? You see the chart you have in your hands? That chart is based on a chart that was put together by Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones. Now, he wrote a book, and this is one of my favorite books in my whole library, called The Chronology of the Old Testament. Not only did he write this book, but he also put together detailed charts of chronology as recorded in the Bible, with special emphasis on the Old Testament. This is a wonderful resource. It's not the kind of book that you sit down and you read cover to cover. It's the kind of book that when you come across something and you go, hmm, that's kind of strange. I wonder how that works. I wonder how that fits. This seems like, this seems like a contradiction. This is a great book to come to church and get from the church library, or if it's in your own family library, to go pull off the shelf and look up that reference and see if he talks about it. And in many cases, he may not talk about it in the book, but he may talk about it on one of his charts. And this comes with, this book here in the church library has a CD-ROM, but if you buy this book, I think it's now available as downloads, but a bunch of PDF charts. And you can also buy the charts as now. The PDF printout or the printed out charts, most of the time, um, you wouldn't really be able to use. And I'll tell you why. It's because they're massive. I have hung one up in the hallway out here for you to take a look at. Actually, not just to take a look at, to study it. It is very, very fascinating. He has gone through and taken every chronological reference during the era of the king. So you see this simple chart? This simple chart just has got these names put up there, right? Well, that looks simple enough, and the whole purpose of this chart is to make it simple for you. It's just to show you how the kings are and how they are in order and how they are prospectively one to another. But if you go out in the hallway, and please do, and look at that chart hanging in the hallway, you will find lines drawn all over that chart. And in fact, every single year on this timeline is listed out on that chart with lines drawn between connecting and showing you how all the little pieces fit together and how he put together this timeline. And that one that I passed out to all of you is that same it's basically his timeline with only some color coding for the dynasties. That's my little contribution. They had to have some color. He was an engineer, and so you can tell that by looking at his charts. Brilliant detail, but, um, but it was just so boring. It needed some color. So the dynasties helped me in understanding some things, and hopefully it will help you as well. But please, take a look at that chart. And I find this fascinating because several years ago, when I was first teaching through the kings, I had a little bit of a crisis of faith because I was determined to do what Dr. Jones had already done. Now, I didn't know he'd already done this. Um, I didn't know he'd already done this. And that's why I'm so excited to make sure you know about this resource because I struggled through a lot of details. And I actually had a chart. I had a chart, this one here. Maybe many of you have this chart. 
And this is a very helpful chart. This is a chart that was actually put together by Dr. John Whitcomb um, of the Old Testament kings. And his research is based upon this book, which is written by Edwin Thiele. Well, here's what's fascinating. If you were to take these two different different charts and philosophies, is Thiele was determined to take the chronological history that is recorded for us in Assyrian archaeology and records, and Babylonian archaeology and records, and Egyptian archaeology and records, and he was determined to use that as his base and then to take the biblical chronology and force it into match what was recorded in secular history. And it was a worthy attempt, and he did a really good job at it. And I don't want to be too harsh and critical of him, but can you tell me what the base flaw of his philosophy was? Samuel. That's right. He's backwards in priority. We have, we have a reliable, infallible, that means without error, inerrant, and infallible means it's reliable, word of God that records for us history is trustworthy. And when we read God's word, we know that it is accurate. Well, you know what's funny about most other kingdoms and their chronologies? So-and-so king reigns, and he accomplishes all these great things. And after him comes up another king who doesn't do so well at accomplishing great things. So you know what he does? He takes credit for all the things his predecessor did. I'm not joking. It happened. It happened over and over in the records of the Egyptian kings particularly, as well as the Assyrian kings. They were very, they were very selfish, and they wanted to claim credit for everything. And the truth of the matter is, is that their chronological records are deeply flawed because you had kings who were manipulating numbers. And so when you try to reconcile biblical history with these secular chronological records, which, by the way, are incomplete, we just have fragments of them. Um, And the truth is, too, even in the Bible, we don't have all the details Um, There's a lot of missing pieces that God has left there for us on purpose. But we know what we do have is reliable. And so if there's something that doesn't match between our Bible and what we find in the Assyrian chronology, guess what should win? The Bible. Well, about 10 years ago, as I was studying this chart and this book, I didn't know that was their premise. I didn't understand what was going on. I just, you know, I love Dr. Wickham. He was one of my favorite teachers. He still is one of my favorite teachers. And so I just accepted this chart and was determined to follow along this chart and to reproduce this chart and to help and teach this chart. But then as I kept reading my Bible, I kept being like, where did he get that? And where did he get that? And he has these co-regencies that are vast. You know what a co-regency is? A co-regency is when two kings are ruling at the same time. That doesn't happen very often. It happens sometimes, but not very often. As you can see, Jehoshaphat right there has a co-regency. He had a co-regency with his father, and he has a co-regency with his son. But it's relatively short at the end, and it's relatively short at the beginning. The reason why it was a co-regency at the beginning is explained in the Bible. 
Is that because, I'll tell you ahead of the story, King Asa is diseased in his feet. And so it makes sense that there is a co-regency, a, a dual ruling. King Asa hadn't yet died, but yet Jehoshaphat had to be ruling. There had to be some government going on. And so that's recorded. It also happened a little bit actually with David and Solomon, although it's not significant enough to make a note on a chart. Well, Tealy, and then Dr. Wickham following along suit, um, took this notion idea of co-regencies and he just, he just that's, it's how, it was the only way he could squeeze all the history recorded into the Bible into the Assyrian record, particularly the Assyrian record, is by just doubling up these kings and layering them on top of each other. So I have this chart and it's a helpful chart. Actually, both of these are very helpful resources. And the biggest reason why these two are very helpful and important resources is because the vast majority of modern commentaries base their chronology and dates upon these. And so these are very important resources to consider if you're ever referencing any kind of commentary or resource because these will help you to understand how they came to what they came to. Meanwhile, Dr. Jones, and where did I put his book? He focused on the biblical history, and he also honored another historian, and I forgot to bring his book this morning, named James Usher. And you've probably seen his book. It's a big, thick book called Annals of World History. And um, that's also a very wonderful resource to have in your home as he actually goes throughout history, going all the way from creation all the way through to his modern time in in bringing together what we know of secular history alongside biblical history. It's a brilliant lifetime work that's a wonderful accomplishment. And his dates, as they've been reconsidered and reevaluated by many conservative Bible-believing scholars of recent years, have been realized, you know what? His dates are accurate to the Bible, and it's a really incredible, um, dependable resource. And so that's by James Usher. Um, what's also fascinating about it is that he had resources in his day. Um, I believe he lived in the 1400s. Um, do I have that date right? Does anybody know for sure? Anyway, he lived several hundred years ago. And um, he had resources that have since been lost to us by war and destruction. Um, vast libraries were destroyed um, in World War I that he had access to in other wars. And so there's other details that he has. Now, there's another little detail, and I know I'm, I'm a little bit excited about this because it is so exciting for me because as I was, as I shared 10 years ago, going through this chart and studying the Bible and finding all these inconsistencies or what I thought were contradictions, it caused me to really have a question. Is my Bible dependable? And I had to work through that. And these resources, even both, both of them, um, really, I, I made it about um, three-quarters of the way through teaching this chart when I found this resource. And I didn't even find it. I was just um, sharing with a, um, actually a pa childhood pastor of my wife um, when we were visiting him out in California, and I said that I had a dream of making a chart of the Bible from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And he says, oh, if you're going to do that, you have to have this book. And he goes back in his office, and he pulls out this book, and he gives it to me. 
And, um, and that's how I became aware of it. And it's been a very helpful resource since in helping me to understand that my Bible is dependable. And when it doesn't appear to match up with the other historical records we have, I know this is reliable. And it causes me to hunt and to search and to see what's missing in the other chronology. And uh, Dr. Jones, as well as Dr. Whitcomb, actually both have wondered and encouraged Bible-believing Christians to study ancient languages, like languages that the Babylonians used, the Akkadian language and the Assyrians used, because there are vast collections and libraries of artifacts that have been collected from the whole region of the Middle East and have actually been scatter, scattered all over the world that have never been translated, that have never even been opened for the most part. And what he finds fascinating in the Assyrian chronology is that in the Bible, we have a major event that takes place in Assyria. Jonah. Jonah goes to Nineveh, and Nineveh repents. There's no mention of that in all of the published Assyrian records. Well, the suspicion is, is it maybe locked up in all those vaults that have not yet been opened? The very documents proving the existence in Assyrian records, we already know he was existed and there's proof of it, but in the Assyrian records of Jonah's evangelization of Nineveh and the repentance of Nineveh. It's a detail that, to put it bluntly, many of the scholars of those languages don't believe the Bible. And so they purposely are looking for the things that they can find to discredit the Bible. And so it's a very curious question is, and I know I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist right now, but are they hiding it? And maybe they're not hiding it. Maybe it just hasn't been found or translated, but is it out there? So there's a lots of detail that we, we have a very, very limited little, little, little picture of Assyrian um, history and even what we have discovered in archaeology because there's not enough people who are educated or scholarly enough to be able to even read the record. And so this chart is fascinating. And what I love about that chart out there, you'll see hanging the detailed one, is you'll see these different lines going across it with references. And every single pinpoint has a reference and details to how it all fits together. And it's a really fascinating chart, excuse me, to study, um, considering what God's Word has recorded for us. I want to get into the lesson this morning, but just before I do that, um, two other resources, since we're talking about resources I want to make you aware of. I am working on publishing Harmony, and I have been um, working on it mainly just as a teaching aid for a long time. And uh, when I actually finished the Harmony that I've been sharing with you, I found other resources. That's how it always works. When you, you know, you go, when you want to do scholarly research, you're supposed to find all the resources to gather together in your bibliography, and then you work on it. Well, I, I, I keep finding them and finding good resources. And so as you look at the harmony, uh, my harmony, harmonies are, are fallible. So the Bible is infallible. Harmonies are fallible. And we sometimes get things in the wrong order, and we parallel them up in the wrong way. And so it's helpful sometimes to get more than one perspective. And these two resources are very helpful in that. The one is by 
is the Reese Chronological Study Bible. And what he's done is he's rearranged all of the scriptures from Genesis in chronological order. So it's all um, rearranged in chronological order. And it's a very fascinating way to read the Bible. Now, there's an old edition of this. Um, well, I don't have time to go into that. The new edition is incredible. This was something he worked to revise throughout his life. And then after he ended up dying, his wife was able to take his notes and get it officially published. And so this is a very, very wonderful resource in helping to understand some basic chronology. And then this is a harmony. This is a harmony by Crockett, um, William Day Crockett. And it's a harmony of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And uh, this is also a helpful resource if you're curious about chronology. But what I've given you this morning, that little chart, is basically a little bit more detailed than what you see up here on the screen. And that chart, you know, is not like the chart out there in the hallway or these books. That's a chart that I carry around actually on my iPad, but you could carry it around in your Bible. And especially as you're studying the Kings, you have a nice, quick, easy reference to go, okay, who is this? How does this guy fit in? You know, we got these weird things where they have the same names in the north and the south and all these complicated things, and I hope that that chart will be to you really a lifelong resource to be able to reference as you're going through um, this Old Testament history. So now we're going to jump into 1 Kings chapter 14. We're learning about Jeroboam. Jeroboam, his legacy is this, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He's the one who set up the golden calf in Bethel and in the far north city of Dan. You remember that the nameless prophet of Judah came to him and rebuked him. Jeroboam tried to have him arrested, but his arm froze there and dried up. That prophet prayed for him, and his arm was restored to him. So do you think that Jeroboam repented? of his idolatry, repented of his wickedness? No, he did not. He continued on in worshiping the golden calf and in leading the nation of Israel in worship of this pagan, man-made golden calf. He greatly displeased the Lord greatly displeased the Lord. And the Lord had told him that if you will walk as David, my servant, walked, I will be with you. I will be with you, and I will make you a sure house. That's a dynasty, a sure dynasty. But Jeroboam was afraid of the threats of the southern kingdom, and he went on in stubborn rebellion. We learn that at the end of chapter 13. And now we move right on into chapter 14, and it tells us that at that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. His son fell sick. You know, sickness is a hard thing, isn't it? Did you know that we wouldn't have sickness if it weren't for sin? All sickness is a result of the general curse upon mankind and the earth because we are all sinners and the sin brought into the world 
by Adam. All sickness is a result of that. All death is a result of sin. But not all sickness is a result of one's individual sin. We don't have time this morning to go through it and to summarize it, and one day we will. We're going to come back to it. And if you can't wait, let me know, and I'll send you an audio recording of a message on the purposes God has for sickness, how and why God uses sickness, because he has different purposes in different times. Remembering that always all sin is a general result of the general curse of sin upon the earth. But this sickness in this day was not because Abijah was a wicked man. In fact, as we go through the history today, we find out that this son of Jeroboam, God found some good in him. In fact, out of all of Jeroboam's family, it was in this boy, Abijah, the only one in whom good was found. And you might wonder, well, then why would he get sick? Why would he get sick if he's the one in whom was found some good? Well, God's purpose, I believe it was to get Jeroboam's attention. And in another way, looking at it from an eternal perspective, See, we look at death as the end, but that's not really how we should look at it as believers. Death is a transition from this sin-cursed world into eternal life. You have eternal life before if you're a believer, but it's that transition into the glorious life. It, it, death is not the end. Death is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing, but especially from the earthly perspective, but from the eternal perspective, it is... A transition. It is the gateway into a life of bliss and wonderful glory for the believer. Well, there's sickness. Abijah fell sick. You know, one reason God uses sickness is to get our attention and the attention of those around us. Because so often, we try to do things our own way, and we're determined that we're all-powerful sometimes. And boy, when we get sick, do we ever feel helpless. Look at our world today. A virus spreads, and everyone openly admits that we are helpless to do anything to treat it or at the moment to stop it. It just spreads. Sickness with this both today as well as in Jeroboam's day, ought to get our attention. I believe that the reason that Abijah fell sick was twofold. One, to get the attention of his family and the nation. And secondly, to show him mercy from the judgment and terrifying death that is coming. I know, I just told you ahead of the story. Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And it got Jeroboam's attention. The king. He is worried, terrified for his son. Now I wonder, why don't you go to your golden calf? 
Do you think his golden calf is going to be able to do anything for his sick son? No. Nothing. You remember someone else, don't you? How many of you remember who gave him these? Ahijah, the prophet of God, did. Well, I did. These were the sign of the kingdom. But for the most part, you know what you've done? Though God has given you the kingdom, he has turned his back on the one true God. He doesn't care about the one true God. But now he's in a moment of crisis. A moment of crisis. And what is he going to do? Well, he's too ashamed or embarrassed or I'm not sure what to go himself. But he wants to come see Ahijah. By this time, an old, frail, blind man. But he's not going to go himself. I don't know why. It doesn't say why he didn't want to go himself. I don't know if he was embarrassed. I don't know if he was afraid. I, I don't know if he knew he was still an idolater and a wicked man. And that it was just a one more thing to do. I don't know why he didn't want to go himself. And he didn't even want to send his wife with them knowing who she was. And so, Jeroboam makes a plan with his wife. And he says to her, Arise, I pray thee, and disguise thyself, that thou be not known to be the wife of Jeroboam. And get thee to Shiloh. Behold, there is Ahijah the prophet, which told me that I should be king over the peoples. And take with thee ten loaves and cracknels and crusts of honey, and go to him. He shall tell thee what shall become of the child. She's going to disguise herself, not as the queen, not as the mother, but as a poor person. And how do I know? Well, you see this? Let's just imagine this is the gift for the prophet. If you were a king, what kind of gift would you send to a prophet? Well, food sounds good, but I think there might be some gold and some silver some wine. No, for the most part, poor man's food. Ten loaves of bread, the cracknells, you know what that is? That's a, that's a crumbly bread that when you break it, it makes a crack sound, like a biscuit, hard biscuit. Just, just poor man's food. And a wee bit of honey. Just biscuits and honey and some bread. A poor man's gift. Because she disguises herself. She doesn't put on her royal garments, but she, she arises and she goes to Shiloh. Now let's look at our, time, our, our map here. See, Shechem is where his kingdom was originally established, but he's moved his capital from Shechem up to Tirzah. Now Tirzah in the days of Solomon was the city to be. Tirzah was a beautiful and a magnificent city in the days of Solomon. And presumably, it still is. Uh, 
And so, naturally, the king of this northern country makes it his capital. The prophet of Hijah is down in Shiloh, not too far away. He's a Shilonite. And so that's where he lives. And so she begins to come, and she arises to come to him. But it tells us that Ahijah, he, he was old, and, and he could not see by reason of his age. And before she came in, the Lord spake unto Ahijah. Behold, the wife of Jeroboam cometh to ask thee a thing for her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shalt thou say unto her, for it shall be, when she cometh in, that she shall feign herself to be another woman. Well, you know what? Ahijah was sitting there in his house, and he couldn't see. He couldn't see. But he could hear. And as soon as he heard the sound of her feet, as she came in at the door, he said, Come in! Come in, thou wife of Jeroboam! Why fayest thou thyself to be another? For I am sent to thee. Heavy tidings. Go tell Jeroboam, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, For as much as I exalted thee from among the people, and made thee prince over my people Israel, and rent the kingdom away from the house of David, and gave it thee. And yet, thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments, and who followed me with all his heart, to do that only which is right in mine eyes, but as have done evil above all that were before thee. For thou hast gone and made the other gods molten images to provoke me to anger and has cast me behind thy back. Therefore, behold, I will bring evil upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as a man taketh away dung, till it be all gone. Him that dieth of Jeroboam in the city shall the dogs eat, and him that dieth in the field Shall the fowls of the air eat? For the Lord hath spoken it. 
Arise thou, therefore. Get thee to thine own house, and when thy feet enter into the city, the child shall die, and all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave because in him there is found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord shall raise him up a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam that day. But what? Even now. For the Lord shall smite Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. And he shall root up Israel out of this good land which he gave to their fathers. And shall scatter them beyond the river. Because they made their growth provoking the Lord to anger. And he shall give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who did sin and who made Israel to sin. Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah. And when she came to the threshold of the door, the child died. And they buried him, and all Israel mourned for him according to the word of the Lord which he spake by the hand of his servant. Ahijah, the prophet. The first prophecy come true. The sign that the rest will come true. A curse is put upon Jeroboam and upon all of Jeroboam's house. And this child who has died is the only one in whom good was found. And in some ways, his death was a mercy. Because the death of the rest of the family is going to be horrific. Did your ears tingle? Did they tingle? Mine did. Even some of the language that God chose to use is shocking. Did you see the phrase used in verse 10? Many modern translations don't like to translate that phrase. Instead, they define it as a male. 
But the phrase used here in the original Hebrew as God used it is just as it's translated. It wasn't just trying to refer to a male. It was a phrase used to cause the ears to tingle. It was a phrase to shock the ears, to get attention, and to speak of a curse. It's used very few times in the Bible. And do you know what? The majority of the time it's used, it's used by God himself for judgment upon wicked, pitiful men, such as Jeroboam, such as King Baasha, it's not a, such as King Baasha, as well as Ahab. Oh, all three of the first dynasties are judged, by the way, in the same way. The one was worse than the one before, and it just built and built and built. It was a sign of judgment, time of horror. Did you see there in verse 15, it says that Israel would be smitten as a reed is shaken in water? How hard is it to shake a reed in the water? I don't know. I didn't pick this one. Bruce, is it very hard? You know, it's, it's just the wind blows through and it shakes. That, that's what all the nation of Israel is like. It's, it's just, just that reed shaking in the wind in the water and just uprooted. As easy as that was, Israel shall be uprooted and scattered. Scattered. A prophecy. Looking at our timeline here, we're in the days of Jeroboam, Rehoboam. We go fast forward in time to 722 B.C. And here is when this prophecy of the scattering beyond the river comes to pass. What's it talking about? Well, in 722 B.C., the nation of Assyria, headquartered in Nineveh, invades Israel and carries them away captive. Here you can see blinking the Euphrates River. That's the river that they will be scattered beyond. If we look here now at the red line blinking, this is the region or where the cities are listed of where Israel was scattered to all across those regions, all to those different places and those different cities. They were scattered beyond the river. But a judgment's also upon Jeroboam. This little boy, well, we don't know how old he was, but this child who died on this day was shown mercy because all of the rest of Jeroboam's family never come to their graves. Instead, those who die in the city are eaten by the wild dogs. And those who die in the field are eaten by the vultures. They're gruesomely massacred, just as was prophesied. And they were just left for dead to be scavenged by the wild beasts. They would be so thoroughly cleaned as a man would clean out his barn of dung, of the manure. You know, that's not worth much. It's kind of disgusting thinking. How would you like to be compared to manure? Again, God is trying to get Jeroboam's attention, but Jeroboam just won't listen. He won't listen over and over and over. He won't listen. And even now, 
He won't listen. Horrific judgment is coming. Do we listen to our God? He's the same one. Did you see what it said there about Jeroboam? Jeroboam, he's this man who, unlike David, who followed the Lord with all of his heart, he's the one who turned his back on the Lord and on God's Word. He knew the truth. He knew what was right. He knew what was wrong. But no, he put the Lord behind his back. Don't want anything to do with God. And God will judge him. What do you do with God? Did you know that we all deserve a judgment like this? And much worse. Much worse. We all deserve to go to the lake of fire, hell, and be judged forever and ever. But did you know that God loves you and me just like he loved Jeroboam? And God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die for those sins that really cause us to deserve to be left for dead and eaten by wild beasts or cast into the lake of fire. What is just and right really for every one of us. But God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And whosoever believeth in Jesus, the one who died for your sin, for my sin, was buried and three days later rose again with power to save, forgive, and give everlasting life. Do you believe in him? And then do you go forth in life rejoicing in your salvation and living your life yielded to him? letting him live his life through you. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for recording for us this history. Oh God, we see your righteousness and your justice, but we also see your great loving kindness and mercy. I pray today that each one here has found hope in Jesus, life everlasting. I pray that we all would seek you with our whole hearts every day, all the time. We need your help, and we need your strength, and today we yield to you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.